Was Hurricane Katrina a judgment of God that was sent to call this nation to repentance? And if so, what prompted God to place such a remedial judgment upon us? Was it our growing immorality and violence? Was it the sins of New Orleans? Or did it have something to do with our mistreatment of Israel? Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope. I'm Dave Reagan, founder and director of Lamb and Lion Ministries. Welcome to Christ in Prophecy. Last week, we began sharing a message with you that I delivered at the Stealing the Mind Conference in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. The message was entitled, God, Judgment, and the Weather. In that message, I looked in depth at what the Bible has to say about God and the weather. I pointed out that God has always spoken through signs of nature, and that throughout history, God has used signs of nature in two primary ways. First, God has used signs of nature to emphasize the importance of great events, uh, as He did, for example, when He put a special light in the heavens when Jesus was born, or uh, when He caused an earthquake in three hours of darkness when Jesus was crucified. I then pointed out that God uses signs of nature more frequently in another way. Now, more often, God uses signs of nature as remedial judgments to call nations to repentance. Both the Bible and history attest to the fact that God has a pattern for working with nations. First of all, the Bible teaches beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is the one who raises up nations, and He is the one who sets their boundaries, and He is the one who gives them purpose, and that when a nation begins to rebel against Him, the first thing He will do is raise up prophetic voices to call the nation to repentance. And when I say prophetic voices, I'm not talking about people with supernatural knowledge of the future. I'm talking about the gift of prophecy as it operates today. And that the way it operates today is that God gives to certain individuals supernatural ability to take the Word of God and apply it to contemporary events. When you find a person who can take the Word of God and preach about abortion or preach about the national debt or preach about uh, a same-sex marriage, that's a gift of prophecy. And there are people who have that gift. And God raises up prophetic voices to call a nation to repentance. These are people who look at the Word of God and they say the nation is in violation of the Word of God. And they know from the Word of God what's going to happen. Not because they have supernatural knowledge of the future, because they know that God deals with nations according to a certain pattern. And that He will deal with that nation if they don't repent. And so they call the nation to repentance. If the nation refuses to repent, then God sends remedial judgments. He will send one after another after another. These can take many forms. It can be economic calamity. It can be military defeat. It can be weather phenomena. But God will send remedial judgments. And finally, if the nation sets its jaw against God and refuses to repent, God will then deliver the nation from judgment to destruction. The Bible says over and over, it uses a very special term there. It says that God does this when the wound becomes incurable. That's used in nearly all the prophets. When the wound becomes incurable is when God moves a nation from judgment to destruction. I proceeded to give many biblical examples of God using natural calamities as remedial judgments to call nations to repentance. I then shifted to our own nation as an example of God responding to rebellion with remedial judgments. Our own nation is a good example of what I'm talking about. We have been blessed as no other nation that has ever existed except the nation of Judah. It's the only nation ever been blessed like this nation. 
And yet in the 1960s, this nation began to thumb its nose at God as a cultural revolution was launched. And very quickly, we descended into a cesspool, a cesspool of sexual promiscuity, a cesspool of drug abuse, abortion on demand, legalized gambling, rampant blasphemy, and a flood of pornography. The lifestyle of hedonism swept our nation and we ended up calling good evil and evil good. And God responded by raising up prophetic voices all across this nation to call this nation to repentance. One of the most important was the voice of Dave Wilkerson, the pastor of Times Square Church in New York City, who in the early 70s began to speak out very forcibly about the sins of this nation and warning that if we did not repent, God was going to send judgment after judgment after judgment. He didn't have any supernatural knowledge of the future. He just knew the Word of God. And he knew that when a nation was blessed like ours and rebelled against God, that God was going to put judgments upon it. But when we ignored the prophetic voices, God responded by putting remedial judgments like the Vietnam War, like the AIDS epidemic, like the plague of sexual transmitted diseases, like the outbreak of homosexuality, and also natural disasters, quakes, floods, tornadoes, even an incredible volcanic eruption that you know of well in this area. All of which culminated, I believe, in the attacks of 9-11. I believe this was God's major wake-up call to this nation, to call this nation to wake up, to call this nation to repent of its immorality. Have you ever stopped to think that we are a far greater threat to the world than the Soviet Union has ever been because we are the moral polluter of planet earth? Everywhere I go on this planet, I just got back from China, everywhere I go, if you turn on the TV set in the room where you are, anywhere in the world, you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the most immoral and the most violent American movies and American television shows. We are the moral polluter of planet earth and God is going to hold us responsible for it. I don't think it was any accident. That on 9-11, what was attacked were two symbols of American pride. What is, the, what is it America takes pride in? It's money and it's power. And the two symbols of money and power were attacked. God sent us a wake-up call. And unfortunately, we're like the guy who's very sleepy. And when the alarm goes off, we roll over and hit the snooze alarm. And I think we went right back to sleep. This week, I want to focus on a new factor that I believe is producing remedial judgments upon this country. It is our mistreatment of Israel that began in the early 90s. But what we have failed to realize is that since 1991, many of the judgments that we have experienced have been related to our mistreatment of the nation of Israel. The Bible says two very important things about this. Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. That's part of the Abrahamic covenant. It's an, it's a, 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 an eternal covenant that God made with Abraham. I'm going to bless those who bless the Jews. I'm going to curse those who curse the Jews. And Zechariah 2, 8, where the Lord said, he who touches Israel touches the apple of my eye. Those are very serious statements. And history attests to the truth of it. I could go all the rest of the day giving you historical examples. I'll give you three. The first, Spain. In the 15th century, Spain was the greatest power in the world. In 1492, the same year that Columbus discovered America, Queen Isabella ordered that every Jew in Spain convert to Christianity overnight or be expelled. Over 250,000 were expelled overnight. Within a matter of years, the Spanish Empire was in ashes and has never existed in anything since then. In addition to that, is the Nazi government. Hitler was well on his way to conquering all of Europe when he launched the Holocaust. And within a matter of years, his Third Reich was in ashes. Third example, 
Britain and the Great Blockade. The British were blessed. Oh, they were blessed in the 19th century. God showered His blessing upon the British. They sent out missionaries all over the world. They, uh, they wrote hymns. Uh, they translated the gospel into uh, different languages. And God greatly blessed them. They came in the 20th century blessed. They came in the 20th century with evangelical leadership even in the government, which is the reason they issued the Balfour Declaration in November of 1917 saying, we're going to make uh, Palestine a homeland for the Jewish people. But suddenly, they turned against the Jews. In 1922, they announced they were going to give two-thirds of Palestine to the Arabs. To create the modern day state of Jordan. And then when the Holocaust broke out in the late 30s, they did something inconceivable. They blockaded Israel. And they refused to allow any Jews of Europe to come home to Israel. They turned the ships back and sent them back to the ovens because they would not allow any Jews to come from Europe into Israel. And at the end of World War II, they sided with the Arabs. Today, the British Empire is simply a memory. I believe many of the blessings of our nation have been due to the fact that we have been a safe haven for the Jews. One of the only nations in the world that has not to uh, uh, launch pogroms against them or, or persecutions. And also because we have been Israel's best friend ever since the state was reestablished in 1948. But the Bible says that in the end times all the nations of the world were turned against Israel over the issue of Jerusalem and in the early 90s we joined the rest of the world in their opposition to Israel. We did so primarily to ensure our access to Arab oil. The turning point came in 1991 when the Soviet Union collapsed and the Jews of Russia began flooding into Israel at the rate of 2,000 to 3,000 a day for one year. Can you imagine that? 2,000 to 3,000 a day for one year? Israel was literally overwhelmed, overwhelmed. They went to the World Bank and said, we, we can't handle this. We, we need $5 billion. And the World Bank said, you'll not get a dime unless the United States underwrites the loan. They went to the first Bush administration and said, would you underwrite the loan? And President Bush said, I will do so on one condition. You must go to the negotiating table and you must start trading land for peace. We are the ones who forced Israel into the suicidal policy of trading land for peace. And we have been their chief arm twister ever since, forcing them to divide the land that God gave them. And in doing so, we have been courting God's wrath in a very special way. Look at these sobering verses, Joel 3, 1 and 2. I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, the valley of judgment. And then I will enter into judgment with them on behalf of my people and my inheritance, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and have divided up my land. God says in the end times, I'm going to bring special judgment against any nation involved in dividing up my land. And we are now one of those nations involved in dividing up the land. Last year, 2004, a White House correspondent, Bill Koenig, wrote a book entitled Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. Eye to Eye, Facing the Consequences of Dividing Israel. The book had a very prophetic cover on it. Notice it shows President Bush standing, looking over his right shoulder, eye to eye with a menacing hurricane. And at the eye of the hurricane is what? The symbol of Israel, the star of David. In this book, Keenig attempted to show the relationship between U.S. mistreatment of Israel and subsequent natural disasters, economic setbacks, and political crises. Let me just share a few of the natural disorders, uh, disasters with you. It all began on November the 1st, 1991. When we forced Israel to the Madrid conference where we forced them to sit down at the table and start negotiating away their land to the Palestinians. 
That conference began on November the 1st, 1991, and on that exact day, the perfect storm formed in the Atlantic. That perfect storm produced waves of over 100 feet and almost completely destroyed President Bush's home at Kennebuckport, Maine. In fact, on November the 1st, USA Today had twin headlines. One side it said, Madrid Conference Convenes, the other side, Perfect Storm Forms. Or consider what happened in the summer of 1992. Yitzhak Rabin was elected the new Prime Minister of, of Israel. And the moment he was elected in June, we put pressure on him and said, you must come to Washington, you must sit down with Arafat, you must negotiate with Arafat, you must give a land to Arafat. He came. He sat down with Arafat. Their meeting began on August the 24th, 1992, and on that very day, Andrew Hurricane slammed into, Hurricane Andrew slammed into Miami, the greatest hurricane in the history of the United States up to that point. Or consider the Camp David Summit in July of, 19, of 2000, when Bill Clinton brought uh, uh, Ehud Barak and Yasser Arafat together, and he began to put pressure on Barak to trade away the heartland of Israel and also to give Arafat one half of Jerusalem. The day that conference began, fires broke out in the western United States. Fifty fires consumed 500,000 acres of land before the end of the month. Or consider the White House celebration of Ramadan. The White House celebration of Ramadan. It's the strangest thing. Why President Bush started this, I have no idea. This was his response to 9-11. Part of his response to 9-11 was to schedule the first ever celebration of Ramadan. Someone said recently, scheduling a celebration of Ramadan after 9-11 would be equivalent to FDR scheduling a celebration of Shintoism after the attack on Pearl Harbor. It makes no sense whatsoever. It just doesn't make any sense. At this meeting, which was held in November of 2002, President Bush made this incredible statement. He said, we have come to honor Allah, the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham. The next day, a tornado swarm of 88 tornadoes hit the central United States. Then came the incredible roadmap plan. The roadmap that was put together by the quartet. You talk about an ungodly quartet. Russia, the United Nations, the European Union, and the United States. And this was to force Israel to give away its heartland. This was delivered by Daniel Kurtzer, Ambassador Daniel Kurtzer, to Ariel Sharon on May the 4th of 2003. The next day, Colin Powell went to the Middle East to implement the plan. The first thing he did was to meet with this terrorist leader, Hafad Assad, who's now dead. As soon as the meeting was over, he called a press conference and announced, I have, pres- I have promised President Assad that we are going to include the Golan Heights in the roadmap, and we're going to force Israel to give up the Golan Heights. That very day, the greatest tornado swarm in the history of the United States occurred. 412 tornadoes broke out. The previous high was 177. In summary, between November the 1st, 1991, and November of 2004, not including this year, during those 13 years that we have turned against Israel, here's what's happened. Nine of the ten largest insurance events in U.S. history. Nine of the ten greatest natural disasters as ranked by FEMA relief costs. Five of the costliest hurricanes in U.S. history. Three of the four largest tornado swarms in U.S. history all of which were linked in one way or another to our attempts to press Israel into dividing its land or surrendering all or part of Jerusalem. The world would laugh at this, and the world would say it's coincidence. I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God incidences. The most recent chaotic event in Israel, and the most traumatic in their modern history, 
was the forced withdrawal from Gaza that began on August the 17th. Nearly 9,000 Israelis were forcibly ripped from their homes and their farms. It was heart-wrenching to watch women and children manhandled, to watch synagogues violated, Torah scrolls desecrated, houses bulldozed, graves dug up, farms destroyed. The economic impact on Israel is simply overwhelming. Look at this. Gaza Strip produced 70% of Israel's organic produce, 60% of the nation's exported herbs, 15% of its total agricultural exports, 60% of its exported cherry tomato crop, and $120 million of its flour exports. In the midst of all this, before it was even finished, Condoleezza Rice called a press conference in which she said, everyone empathizes with what the Israelis are facing, but it cannot be Gaza only. This is going to be the beginning of these withdrawals. Well, it's interesting. All of this ended, all of it ended on August the 22nd. And the very next morning, the government of Bermuda announced that a tropical depression had formed off the coast of, of, of Bermuda, which was dubbed Katrina. It quickly developed into the most powerful hurricane in modern history, slamming into New Orleans on August the 27th. It disrupted 25% of our crude oil production, destroyed the largest port in this nation and the fifth largest in the world. I think it's interesting that, to note that New, uh, that New Orleans had a special event scheduled three days after this hit, an event that was called the Gay Mardi Gras, the theme this year. Here's the poster was going to be Jazz and Jezebels. Last year, the event drew 125,000 revelers who proud, proudly flaunted their perversion publicly in a parade that featured the bazaar. Incredibly, this event is sponsored by an organization that proudly calls itself Southern Decadence. New Orleans is also known for its occult practices, particularly voodoo, and it's also infamous for its high murder rate and its political corruption. Nonetheless, I do not believe personally the storm was meant primarily as a judgment upon the city of New Orleans. Rather, I see it as a judgment on our entire nation for our mistreatment of Israel. And that's because it had national consequences. Higher fuel prices, higher prices for all goods, disruption of the flow of goods, an increase in the national debt, and ultimately an increase in taxes, shame before the whole world, and a deeply scarred Bush administration. Speaking of President Bush, Many Christians have been asking, why doesn't President Bush realize the prophetic significance of Israel? He's a Christian. Why doesn't he realize it? Why, why doesn't he treat Israel the way he should? I recently had the opportunity, I had some ideas about that, but I recently had an opportunity to interview Bill Koenig on one of my television programs. So I put the question to Bill. I said, Bill, what about it? Number one, is, is the president a Christian? Number two, why doesn't he realize the prophetic significance of Israel? He said, David, let me tell you, I've gotten to know the president well as a White House correspondent. There's only 250 of these in the world. He's one of 250. And he says of the 250, there's only five who are Christians. Only five. He said, I've got to know the president. He said, I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever he is a born-again Christian, an evangelical Christian, born again, serious about his faith. But he said, you've got to understand something. He was born and raised in the Episcopal Church. And when he found the Lord Jesus Christ and got born again, he moved to the Methodist church. And he said, although there are both Episcopal priests and Methodist pastors who know something about Bible prophecy and understand the importance of Israel, the vast overwhelming majority in those two denominations do not. And the national leadership of both are absolutely dominated by people who believe in replacement theology. He said, all President Bush has heard all his life from the pulpit is replacement theology. 
That in the first century, God washed his hands of the Jewish people. He has no purpose left for the Jewish people. And there is absolutely no prophetic significance whatsoever to the nation of Israel. And he says, David, he's, he's surrounded by godly advisors who are also Christians. But he said, I know them too. And they all come from replacement theology churches. He said, I don't know one advisor who truly believes that there's any prophetic significance to Israel. Well, I believe the message of Katrina is that God is on his throne. God is in control. He cannot be mocked. He will not tolerate the division of his holy land, nor will he tolerate gross immorality that mocks everything that is moral and decent. God loves our nation, folks. He has blessed us more than any other nation. But the Word of God says, to those to whom much is given, much is expected. And the Word of God says, God disciplines those whom he loves. Another thing. His word makes clear is that when he sends discipline, the fundamental purpose is never to punish. Let me say it again. When God sends discipline, when he sends a remedial judgment, his fundamental purpose is never to punish. His fundamental purpose is to call us to repentance so that we might be saved. Here is the way Isaiah puts it in Isaiah 26 verse 9. When the earth experiences your judgments, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. I know that firsthand. Because when I was 15 years old, growing up in Waco, Texas, we had a tornado the worst tornado in the history of Texas to this day. It was like an atomic bomb went off in downtown Waco. That tornado killed more people than any other tornado in the history of Texas. It killed 114. It injured over 597. This is a picture of a five-story building that collapsed, killing everybody inside of it. And you know what I noticed? For the next three months, there was standing room only in every church in town. Because these disasters have a way of getting people's attention and getting them on focused on an eternal perspective. The only problem is that due to our fallen nature, it only lasted about three months and then people began to forget and the church attendance began to fall off. With regard to the spiritual impact of Katrina, I think it's interesting that Governor of Louisiana Kathleen Blanco called for a statewide day of prayer. She said, as we face the devastation wrought by Katrina, we search for those in need as we comfort those in pain. And as we begin the long task of rebuilding, we must turn to God for strength, hope, and comfort. Those are noble words. But I want you to notice something. Not one statement about repentance. President Bush issued a presidential proclamation calling for a national day of prayer on September the 8th. He asked the nation to pray for the victims and to reach out to them in compassion. Again, those are noble words, but there was no expression of repentance. New Orleans City Council President Oliver Thomas claimed the closest of all public officials in recognizing that Katrina had a spiritual message. On national TV, he said, you know, this all reminds me of Sodom and Gomorrah, and I'm beginning to believe that God has a message for us, that maybe He's cleansing us. But cleansing requires a response of repentance, something God is calling for from the whole nation and not just from the city of New Orleans. No public official in our history has yet seen the spiritual implications of a disaster as clearly as did Abraham Lincoln when he evaluated the cause of the Civil War. In a proclamation which he issued on March the 30th, 1863, the president called for, quote, a national day of prayer and repentance. And he made this comment. Insomuch as we know that by His divine law, nations like individuals are subjected to punishments and chastisements in this world, may we not justly fear that the awful calamity of civil war, which now desolates the land, may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a people. 
He continued by saying, we have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But he said, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined, listen to this, we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all our blessings were produced by our superior wisdom and virtue. He then ended it with these words. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to God that made us, it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. That's the kind of proclamation we need today. But folks, the sad thing is, We have become so secular and so pagan that if our president were to issue such a proclamation today, I have no doubt that someone in Congress would issue an indictment of impeachment for the violation of separation of church and state. We as a nation have set our jaw against God. We are tempting Him to move us from judgment to destruction. Our God is merciful. He is patiently sending us one wake-up call after another. He never pours out His wrath without warning. I thought of that recently. Here is a billboard in Florida. Last year, when all those hurricanes hit, this billboard had a temporary sign over it. The hurricane peeled it back. And this is what was left for people to see. We need to talk. Sign God. (laughs) Folks, I want to call you to prayer. I want to call you to prayer. Pray that our eyes will be open. Pray that our hearts will be melted. Pray for a national revival. Pray, too, for the hearts of our leaders to be opened to the significance of Israel in Bible prophecy. Thank you, and God bless you. We are pleased to make available the God in the Weather DVD album that contains the complete 45-minute presentation by Dr. Reagan that you have just been watching. In this fascinating presentation, Dr. Reagan addresses a series of difficult questions related to God and the weather. Are all natural disasters a result of man's sin? Can a natural disaster be a remedial judgment from God? Is Satan the one who is in control of natural disasters? Could U.S. treatment of Israel play a role in the natural disasters that America has recently suffered? Was there a message from God in the Katrina disaster? This is a thought-provoking presentation to help you to understand why Bible-believing preachers throughout the history of Christendom have pointed to natural disasters as signs of God calling nations to repentance. The God in the Weather video album is available for a gift of $20, including the cost of shipping. Dr. Reagan has also produced a powerful, hard-hitting presentation about the decay of American society and our nation's spiritual crisis that is titled The Twilight of America. In this video, Dr. Reagan presents a sweeping survey of America's rebellion against God and His Word. He then points out that the Bible teaches that in God's dealing with a rebellious nation, there's a point of no return when God delivers a rebellious nation from judgment to destruction. Has America reached that point? View the 55-minute presentation and decide for yourself. The video can also be acquired for a donation of $20 or more, including the cost of shipping. And if you'd like to get both video albums, you can do so for a gift of $30 or more, including shipping. Just ask for offer number 726. 
You can place your order in two ways, either by calling the number you see on the screen or by accessing our website at www.lamblion.com. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. I hope it has been a blessing to you, and I hope you will be back with us next week. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 